Hello and welcome back to Sabbath School from Home, a podcast where we explore uh, biblical topics and themes, uh, especially uh, in the light of the Sabbath School pamphlet. Um, it's an interesting journey this week, continuing on further into Ephesians. And my name is Lachlan, and I'm glad to be here. And I'm Luke. And this week, it's only the two of us. It's a particularly busy and hectic uh, time with school holidays and all manner of other things happening. So um, we're grateful that you've chosen to, to listen in. And um, we at least have two voices this week, unlike last week, where it was for the very first time ever down, down to just a single one. So what we're going to do in this episode is just really pick up and continue. You, you may recall that last week, I did a little solo conversation with myself about just the first half of Ephesians 1. Um, following with the lesson, we're going to pick up in verse 15 of Ephesians 1. And we'll, why don't we read this? Um, Luke, why don't we read verses 15 to the end, 15 to 23? Yeah, sounds good. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Right. So, I mean, I think it's very obvious straight away to see that this is still in an introductory mode. Um, it That was something that I observed in the first half of this chapter, Luke. It was um, sort of general introductory remarks, and it seemed to me that this letter doesn't have the tone of one of being, um, you know, a disciplinary action or, or a sort of stern um, critique. It, it seemed to be... Uh, a positive sense of, of an epistle and, and one that was in, encouraging. And that's what I see here. Um, uh, I've not stopped thanking God for you, uh, pray for you constantly, asking God to give you spiritual wisdom. Um, the, the, the tone here feels uplifting and positive to me. It, yes, it, it's, it's very... Um, I mean, these are interesting, and I guess it's a lot of the New Testament is this way, and it's only just occurring to me that I do find it interesting, in that the prayer is also a letter. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a prayer, but God is not the only audience of it. Yes, yes. It's it's, it's also being sent. So the, the message is intent. There's, there's a message in there for the recipients. Um as well, which is not really how prayer works in the Old Testament. Yeah. Um, although I guess it is, I guess it's something which Jesus does a fair amount of. He prays for the disciples in front of the disciples. Yeah. Um, I, well, yeah, famously, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Mm. Um, but it it's still, as a highly introverted person, it's... It, I actually find it really uncomfortable. 
<laughs> that that kind of jewel. Like if you're going to write a letter to someone and you want to tell them stuff, write it to them. If you're going to pray for someone, pray for them. The the combination of it, I, yeah. I'm, maybe it's it's one of the reasons why you know outside of the um, the the gospels, I I don't read a lot of the New Testament very much. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I think I think your assessment is probably quite accurate. I, it seems to me from the from the documents we have in the New Testament that Paul may not have been particularly introverted. Um, the, <laughs> the, but it's interesting that you've identified that um, that sort of detail because the wording in the lesson pamphlet uh, refers to this passage as a prayer report. In other words, and and I found that wording. It's there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, it's just that it's it's is this a prayer or is this a letter containing an account of prayers that Paul prays? And really, what I'm getting at is what would be the difference anyway? Um, you know, and I've I've brought this up I think in the right. podcast before. I, I am constantly bemused by the way that Adventist gatherings will sometimes inquire around for prayer requests upon which there may follow 10 or 15 minutes of really quite earnest and open conversation where people are um, expressing vulnerabilities and expressing desires and expressing, um, you know, concerns and fears over things that are happening. And then at the end of that very meaningful period of, say, 10 minutes, someone will say, all right, let's pray. And then there follows a completely trite repetition of the things that have just been yes. expressed in a heartfelt manner. And I wondered to myself, which of those two phases is actually more prayer-like? Is the, is the actual prayer. Oh, that's a fascinating <laughs> observation. Um, because, yes, that is exactly how group prayer works. And, yeah, I think, I think my initial reaction is, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. The actual prayer is that conversation, yeah. <laughs> which happens beforehand. And the bit after it is is a performance, which... Yeah, you know the Bible makes really clear that performative prayer is not real worship, <laughs> um, essentially. Yeah, um, which is it shouldn't discourage us from trying to pray well, because everybody makes mistakes, and you know real worship is, I think, very difficult. Mm. Um, I actually, I have to confess, I actually find, th- and it maybe th- it's, it's the same root as. Um, my kind of struggles with this idea of a prayer and a, and and a letter to people being the same thing, and Paul being quite so public with his prayer, essentially. Mm. Um, although we don't really know how publicly this kind of letter was shared, mm. it's, it's very public now because we've codified it into the Bible. But maybe at the time it, it wasn't. Although it's obviously been preserved. So anyway, um, I really, really struggle with group prayer. Yeah. Um, Particularly that type of group prayer, which you just described, which in my workplace is very common, which is where we publicly take prayer requests Mm. and then we, one person in the group prays for them. Yeah. Um, I don't like the idea of, of, I don't feel safe in that setting. To feel safe in that setting, to share, I would have to know everybody extremely well. And there aren't that, you know, let's say it's a room of 30 people. There aren't 30 people on the planet that I feel that (laughs) close to. So I will never feel comfortable sharing in that sort of setting. Um, And 
Yeah, I, I, it's 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 kind of it's nice to have the excuse, I guess, of saying, well, yeah, it's very performative and it's not sort of real prayer and all the rest of it. Um, but I can't help but wonder often if the problem's not just with me. Um, but I like to pray privately. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is um, I think this is a conundrum. I've certainly explored it. The how to get how to get a a public or communal prayer to work without it being performative. I mean, I I've expressed to a number of people I have great issue. I know that it is very well intentioned, but I have great issue with um, you know preachers who open their sermon by by praying from the pulpit that the words they are about to speak be God's. I think to myself that's an excellent sentiment, but it is best expressed solo before you get up to the microphone. What role, like, what possibly, what possibly are you going to achieve by praying that prayer publicly, other than by just trying to make yourself look humble and holy? Well, or, or you know, make anybody in the audience feel guilty and vaguely incorrect if they uh, don't agree with everything you're preaching. <laughs> <laughs> you, we, I mean, and look, we have to be careful about that because I think we do it in, in um, we do it in our church culture quite a lot. Mm. Is whenever we want to kind of shut down the possibility of dissent or disagreement or whatever, we kind of claim God's authority for what we're saying by by doing this sort of public prayer. Yeah. Um, you know, or if we're going to a meeting where we know that there's some people who are going to raise disagreements and we want to try and push something through and get it approved without <laughs> the dissent, yeah. you know, we'll open the meeting by praying for peace and harmony and, you know, it's, it's yeah, we, it, it's, it's political and it's, it's manipulative and I don't like it. And I'm not saying I haven't done it because I think we're all kind of susceptible mm. to it. If you've grown up in a church culture, um, the temptation to use the vocabulary of the church to manipulate people is ever present. As you say that, I'm reminded of, of an occasion uh, in my life. I'd actually forgotten this. Um, the details don't matter, but I, I was having a conversation with a person who was a church pastor and I had not agreed with everything they'd said and they wanted to close the conversation by by praying. So they said, can I pray with you? So they said a prayer. And as soon as they stopped, I said a prayer. And I could tell that they felt awkward because it what they'd actually tried to do was a power, power play. And by me praying at the end, I had implied that I was just as able to pray as they were they were and that that had caught them by surprise <laughs> this was just a one-on-one conversation this wasn't a public performance at all it was just mm. <laughs> uh, um so yes yeah we- i mean it's it's interesting those things we do and I, I i wonder and i know we're not supposed to wonder these sort of things and it's, it's probably not charitable and uh, you know i wouldn't want to cast aspersions on paul's character by any means but Mm. coming back to my initial unease with this thing it's like how do you disagree with or question anything Mm. in this letter from paul when he makes it a prayer this way Mm. like you can't dispute it you can't ask questions or you it's it it feels to me a, a little pushy or sort of manipulative it's like you 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 will be uh, all of these things because i have prayed it 
Yeah, let's just let's just quickly check in then at, at revisit what the prayer says because I, I I agree with your concern in this particular prayer I I can't find a whole lot that that I would oppose um, so it starts with a with the the prayer comes up because Paul expresses his his thankfulness he his thankfulness for their strong faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for God's people everywhere so those are those are things that I think are um, definitely legitimate to, to thank be thankful for but then then paul prays constantly asking god to give them spiritual wisdom and insight so that they might grow in their knowledge of god now that that's a very useful mm. phrase because that could legitimately be twisted to say and i am about to describe a, yes the truth and that i that I <laughs> there's need. a lot of stuff you're getting wrong yeah. and here it all is yeah it it's it's um a it almost strikes me as a, um, I don't know if this is what it's actually called. It's not something I try and employ. Uh, and the name, I may be getting the name wrong, but a compliment sandwich. Right. <laughs> if you want to tell someone something bad, you stick it in between two compliments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to kind of <laughs> manipulate them into not reacting to it. Um, and it, <laughs> there's, a, there's an element of that to this, I, I feel, because it starts off very complimentary yeah. about them. Um, you know, I'm giving thanks for you um, and uh, praising God for you. Uh, but then <laughs> I, I'm asking that you may know him better, yeah. um, et, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, here's, here's some pretty heavily implied stuff that, um, and, and then some, you know, the, then straight into some theological teaching. Yes, I was noticing that, that verse 19 onwards, um, Again, I actually think this is pretty general. I don't, I don't see him being. Too... I don't disagree with anything Paul says. Yeah. It's, again, it's it's it just strikes something about it strikes me as just a, I I would have had trouble dealing with Paul okay. as a person. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> I would have just look just just stop pushing me. You would have been in so good company, much. Luke. In I, the early I would be much more inclined to listen to you if you would just stop pushing so hard. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, there are a number of uh, events recorded in the Book of Acts that that suggest um, there were uh, a number of people that had exactly that experience with Paul, um, and you know, I, I'm I'm reminded of the observation that sometimes, almost all the time, actually, people who are at the top of their game, whether that's elite sports people, or, or elite chess players, or s- super successful business people. Um, such as those who may purchase Twitter, for example, um, or extremely excellent musicians. No matter where you look, they're all slightly, we often say eccentric or or words to that effect, meaning in, in some sense almost a little bit imbalanced. And I wonder sometimes mm. whether it's precisely these elements of Paul's personality that made him so effective in what he was yeah, called well, to do. That, that's the that's the thing that I, you know. It's it's not something that I um, am unaware of. Is that what works for me personally is 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 not what works for a lot of other people. Yeah. And the, the very thing that would make Paul, I think, incredibly frustrating for me to listen to, um, obviously made him very very effective for a lot of other people. And maybe the people who received this letter from him were absolutely overjoyed by everything in it, you know. Mm. Um, it The fact that I read it and go, oh, Paul, you, he's just, he's, he's a bit extra. Um, 
it'd just be a testament to the fact that my situation is so very, very, very different from the situation of these new Christians who were, you know, you know, they were radical heretics and and absolute minority and taking huge risks to kind of be part of this new weird church um, that was very contrary to the culture of the empire in which they lived. And um, this sort of encouragement was absolutely brilliant for them. Yeah. Well, I think it, I think it, it's obviously meant to be encouraging. I don't, I don't get the sense here that Paul is trying too hard to correct someone's theology. I think he's just sort of bubbling over in his own enthusiasm, probably more than anything else. I I don't disagree with anything that he writes here, but there is one comment that, that just sits in my mind as I read through it. Let's just recap from verse 19 onwards. Paul describes God, the greatness of God's power. This is the same mighty power. And then he lists four things about Christ that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, gave him um, authority or power, uh, put all things under the authority of Christ, um, and made him head over all things. And all of those are great statements, except none of them focus on the actual teachings. You know, Jesus spent so much of his time famously telling people things, stories, parables, sayings. Um, and, and in this very brief account, Paul is so enamored with the power of God as revealed in the status of Christ, raised, not mm. dead, seated in heaven, not on earth, a ruler or authority, um, over all things in the world, not not part of all things, not part of this world. So Paul's making a statement about the status of Christ, and all of it is great. But I sometimes wonder: surely there's also room to sort of say, actually, we can also ponder the things he said. Now, it's an unfair criticism because, of course, the the written form of the teachings of Jesus probably hadn't actually occurred. Um, you know. Not entirely At sure this of point. the dating. I mean, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Paul was writing the written form in many ways, uh, at least part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's certainly what we believe because these letters are now part of the Bible. Yeah. Let's just briefly go over and look in Ephesians chapter 3. The lesson identifies that there's one other place in this book of Ephesians where a, a prayer is recorded. And it's actually towards the end of Ephesians 3, picking up in verse 14. I might read read these verses, verse 14 to 21 of Ephesians 3. When I think mm. of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, that's that's clearly a format of a prayer, isn't it? It's the same sort of prayer by the same person <laughs> to the same audience. Um, 
It's very similar, isn't it? I mean, it's yes, it's similarities are not surprising. It's got the same um, overly, overwhelmingly positive sense. It's not a criticism. It's not a critical prayer, but it is also a kind of, I don't know, almost pushy prayer because it it keeps saying, you know, may you experience this, may you understand this. It's kind of, (laughs) it's sort of guiding what Paul believes is the thing they should understand. Um, and again, I don't disagree with Paul. Uh, and actually, as I read it, I found myself recalling this is a very well-known passage indeed. I've certainly heard it, you know, uh, read many times. Uh, fundamentally, it's an encouraging passage. Yeah, no, it's a very encouraging passage. Um, and yeah, if, I don't know why. Again, I don't, I don't, you know, it's, it's, it's not really making a criticism of Paul. It's just my reaction to the passages. I find the second prayer as similar as it is to the first one. For some reason, it strikes me much more comfortably. I, I, I can't really offer an explanation as to why, um, but I like it more. Yeah, this um, second this second one in, in chapter three. This, the one in chapter three, yep. yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, I, I like it more. I like its sentiment. Uh, the It seems... You know, I loved that, as I read it, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, I just liked the way it expressed it. Uh, In verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. He's sort of saying, there's a thing. And I know know it, I've experienced it, and I want you to experience it. Uh, I can't really describe it properly, because it's not a thing you can actually understand. It's a thing that you just experience. Um, I, I, I found... I found there's a certain sense of sort of humility there that um, that's slightly counter to, to the observations of personality that we've been hypothesizing so far. Yes. Yeah, no, you're quite right. It's, um, yeah, I really like that, that understanding of it, that it's, it's, you know, it's praying for them to experience it, um, even while acknowledging that it's, well, he does, I mean, the version that I'm reading at, he does pray for them to understand it or to grasp it. Mm. Yes, well, um, I guess in verse 18, may you have the power to yes. understand. Um, but then he sort of says, in verse 19, he almost corrects himself and says, oh, actually, hang on a minute. You can't. <laughs> it surpasses knowledge. Yeah, yes. yeah. I get the feeling with both of these prayers, there is a sense of genuineness to them because I get the feeling they're not highly edited and carefully constructed. I get the feeling that they are kind of just... A stream of consciousness almost they're gushing out of Paul's mind yeah the one thing I would never call Paul is a liar yeah I mean, he's a, a uh, unfailingly honest direct sort of person uh, by the record we have of him um, and very very sincere in everything that he kind of said and did yeah even before his conversion um, well there's there's one more aspect of this that um, maybe we could just ponder for a moment and then, then we might actually be close to wrapping up. I know this one's a slightly shorter episode, but um, that's, that's the conditions of our availability of time uh, at the moment. It's, it's the uh, back in chapter 1, verse 16, uh, just, just into the start of the passage that we read. Uh, verse 16, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray constantly. Um, I think some translations say pray without ceasing. Um, yes, mine mine certainly says that one. I I'm fascinated by that sentiment. Well, um, it's interesting actually. My version says I have not stopped giving thanks for you. Okay, as in presumably thanking God that you exist. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, if you remember back to the first episode where we were looking in Acts, uh, just to try and understand the context of, of Ephesus and, and the epistle to the Ephesians, remember Paul turns up and he finds believers and he then actually explains to them a little more than they yet know and baptizes them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So I, I suspect some of this is, is there is a, an excitement and a thankfulness. Paul has, has traveled some distance from where the person of Jesus lived and walked and teached and uh, taught, teached. Um, so there, uh, there's some, I, I feel some of that context here where, where he's so gushing in his thankfulness. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's true. I mean, he must have been absolutely wrapped that people as far away as Ephesus um, were, were um, like learning about Christ and belie- and becoming believers and, and that there was essentially a church there. I mean, it's, it's a long way from, particularly by the standards of the ancient world. Yeah. Um, it's a long way from, from Jerusalem. Yeah. So what would it mean? I mean, I guess this is perhaps the thought to, to wrap up on. What would it mean for us to pray without ceasing or to pray constantly? Um, well, that, yes, I don't know. I don't know what praying constantly means. Yeah, this is connected to my observation a bit earlier about the way we cordon off prayer as an activity. We sort of say, well, this, this conversation has not been prayer, and then we'll have... We'll have some words that are prayer. With that very clear distinction between the category of the words, it's not possible to pray constantly. No, well, that's that's exactly right. So maybe it's just our conception of prayer that is wrong. <laughs> that we consciously separate it from other <laughs> thoughts um, is, 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 again, strikes me as a sort of post-industrial, quite artificial distinction that maybe Paul and others of his time wouldn't have made of course you can pray constantly he would say um aren't you always thinking good thoughts yeah. <laughs> then you're praying constantly yeah it's you know um prayer as a i mean prayer as a conscious act obviously existed but that isn't to say that it was the only way of praying or the only sort of prayer and we tend to think of it being the only sort of prayer yeah, you know, in 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 our minds, if if you're not, I mean, this is what I was taught as a child. If you are not kneeling with your hands folded and your eyes closed and your head bowed, you're yeah. not praying. <laughs> and if you yes. dare open your eyes, you're committing a sin. Yeah, and it's, God definitely won't hear the prayer of someone with their eyes open. <laughs> That's yes. how I was taught to pray. Yes, yes. Uh, it- Unless you happen to be the driver in the car when you are praying for traveling mercies, in which case the driver of the car is allowed to have their eyes open. You're supposed to pray for traveling mercies before you say. <laughs> okay, okay, I see. It's, it's it, you know you do it just before you check the tire pressure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I certainly, and I may have said this on the podcast before. I found um, when I was living in Germany and participating in church in a language that I didn't understand well. I found prayer a whole lot more meaningful when I opened my eyes and looked at the person praying. It was actually made it a lot easier for me to understand what they were saying because of all of the, I don't know, the. it's not that I was lip reading, but the sort of visual cues 
helped when my grasp of the language was only just enough. Um, you know, if mm. someone was praying up the front. It's a habit that I have continued because I actually felt once I started doing it, I felt, hang on a minute, this whole eyes closed business is just disconnecting me from the prayer. Whereas if I open my eyes and look at them, I am through my eyesight connecting with them in this activity of prayer. That's that's what it feels like to me. Um, yeah, well, I mean, if you hadn't worked it out, the, particularly the bit about closing your eyes, it, even as a child, it struck me as nonsense. <laughs> I, I could not fathom in my mind the connection between closed eyes and proper, correct prayer. Yeah. Um, and yes, I, 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 I spent much of my contemplation of religious things as a child thinking about those sort of topics um and now i'm much more inclined to just go well of of course it doesn't matter if your eyes are closed or not yeah (laughs) yeah and i'm i'm not going to i'm not really going to to bother worrying about it i i'm i'm going to to try and focus on what rather than you know saying what doesn't make a correct prayer uh focus on what does make uh, good prayer yep. um, and there is plenty of instruction in the Bible for doing that I mean to, to, to consciously attempt to take a more positive view towards Paul's letters than I typically feel um, they are evidence I suppose that a prayer can be a letter yep. can be written down so a book can be a prayer a poem can be a prayer yeah yeah, perhaps um, music can uh, be a prayer. Music could be a prayer. A letter can be a prayer. Uh, an email could be a prayer. Yeah. Uh, possible even, I suppose, theoretically, that a tweet could be a prayer. <laughs> I see. Yeah. Yeah. Although one wonders how easy it is to pray on Twitter. Yeah. I wouldn't deny the possibility. Well, this is this is exactly the sort of challenge that was occurring to me in in this wording, you know, I pray constantly or uh, pray without ceasing. Um, that that Paul ex- that sentiment Paul expresses in Ephesians one sixteen. Um, I, I read in that somewhat of a challenge, and I, and I think it's a um, the implementation or the the process of doing that is probably as we've identified going to vary from person to person. It's going to feel different in in different people's experience as they attempt to find something that is has an element of genuineness. And authenticity of themselves um but yeah what you've just described is is a call to be a little bit more creative perhaps than than we were often taught to be mm. i think uh that's a thought that we can continue to ponder even as we uh wrap up the episode there so um yes good call i i'm looking forward to um reading a little more of ephesians and just checking in the 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 bit of homework that i'm leaving for future episodes is we have expressed just slight concern that Paul might be leveraging prayer here to get a bit didactic and start trying to tell people exactly what they have to think. And um, I'm going to reflect as we read through more of Ephesians in coming episodes on, on exactly what how I evaluate that in, in this book. Um, mm. And so that will be an interesting thing to do. I think that is a good direction to take future conversations in, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. And we hope that this one's... Uh, been valuable to you even as we've um mused as just the two of us we hope that we can get together with a, with a larger um our larger team of of participants and 
We encourage you to participate. If you've got thoughts or comments, you can email them to us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. Every comment we receive, we thoroughly enjoy reading, even even when sometimes we just can't quite coordinate to, to you know get them read out or, or involved in the recording sessions of each episode. Um, so we look forward to you joining us again next week. Mm-hmm.